Lord, I do pray. And uh, Lord, I ask that the people in this room would pray for me, uh, that we would pray for us, that you would help us to speak what you want us to speak and hear what you want us to hear. Because God, the thought of talking about you just seems insane to me. Uh, because you are so big, and uh, Lord, you are so simple, but our lives are so complex. And so, Lord God, I, I know sometimes people, they think, well, it, the sermon needs to be shorter, it needs to be more to the point, it needs to be more creative, it needs to be more, and God, I just get overwhelmed um, talking about you. So, Lord, I pray that you would talk about you that you would inhabit um, this talk and that you would invade our hearts and that you would use um, these, well, these little words um, to reveal the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, uh, we preached from Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. Jesus asked his disciples to see and they don't see. And then he heals a blind man that wants to see, and he does see. Uh, this week, Angie Dancer posted a video and a note on my Facebook page. She wrote, I was thinking about how it must have been to suddenly see, and thought you might like to see people that suddenly hear. Have you seen this video? Recording, Buckman. First, First hearing aid. Are you ready? Oh. <laughs> this is the, the big this moment is here. Moment. There you go. Creeping. So now technically your device is on. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> you said you hear it. <laughs> oh. Hey, I sound. You're hearing yourself better. Okay, you can try. Hi, Cooper. <gasps> Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, Cooper. My friend Jenny, she, she posted on Facebook, I wish I had that job. And, and I commented, you know, I think you do have that job. We have that job. Our job is to announce good news. Evangelical literally means good news announcer. When you hear good news, well, you react like the folks on the video. But when folks hear our evangelical good news, they don't always react that way. So are we proclaiming good news? Now, good news to some can be bad news to others. So good news about the New England Patriots can be bad news for Denver Bronco fans. But the angel said, behold, look, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. In Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus shows John uh, good news and allows him to hear all people singing. 
It's the song that never ends, because it is the end. He sees four amazing creatures that never stop singing around the throne of God. He sees 24 elders that constantly cast their crowns before him, and a slaughtered lamb that stands on the throne and opens the scroll. And then he sees every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, and in the sea and all that is within them, which would include you worshiping this lamb on the throne, for he has done it, he has ransomed people for God. It's like all reality vibrates to the rhythm of this praise, this hallelujah. So, 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 so why don't we hear? Why don't we see? In Luke 18, 31, Jesus takes the 12 and says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything, everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Just a week later, on a tree in a garden, Jesus cries out, it is accomplished, and delivers up his spirit. About 490 years before that, the prophet Daniel saw a Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and to him was given a kingdom that, quote, all people, nations, languages uh, should serve him. Daniel saw Jesus and Revelation 5 as if the story was finished, and Jesus said, it is finished. Last week we asked the question, how can that be? And you remember we kicked around the idea of, of uh, flatland, remember? And uh, we talked about the idea that maybe uh, time uh, is like a dimension. And what if it was a dimension in flatland, a dimension in which we can only move one direction, although we all dream of moving both directions, right? Like Back to the Future movies. Uh, well, if someone has spoken or is speaking creation into existence, that someone is telling a story with his word, and we, on this line, are part of the story that he is telling. All stories have a beginning and an end. They have a plot. Once you see the plot, every moment in the story um, has new meaning. The plot makes sense of the story. And if you're part of the story, the plot makes sense of you. Well, Jesus is the beginning and the end, the plot. He is the meaning, the logos. He is the word that God is speaking. We exist on the, the timeline. The logos is the beginning and the end of the timeline. And in fact, all around the timeline, encompassing the timeline. So the Logos, Jesus, that is the end, is literally at hand. Uh, like, like if I was literally at hand every moment on the timeline. So the end is literally at hand. And uh, when Jesus says, behold, you will see the Son of Man seated on the clouds of heaven and coming with great power, henceforth, he says, henceforth, well, gosh, he could really mean it. I could say, I'm coming. And I would come at every moment on the, on the timeline. And what I had just said, I am coming soon, would always be true. I'm just saying, maybe Jesus was telling the truth. Maybe the story really is finished. Maybe the choir is already singing, for he has done it. It is accomplished. 
So anyway, in Luke 18, 31, Jesus says, look guys, you're about to witness the Son of Man receiving his kingdom from the Ancient of Days. And then he describes his death on the tree. He says, see, but they don't wanna see. Next, a blind beggar wants to see and does see. Now a sinner wants to see and does see. His name is Zacchaeus, Luke 19, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And look, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in a critical trade city in the Roman Empire. That means that Zacchaeus, although he was a son of Abraham, had made a covenant with the Roman oppressors to oversee all the tax collectors in Jericho as they excised tax from his countrymen. They were notorious, these tax collectors, for defrauding their own people, and Zacchaeus was rich, but not in stature. Social, physical, spiritual stature. Zacchaeus was about Zacchaeus. He was the author of his own story. And so he had written himself out of Abraham's story. And he had written himself out of God's story. And because God is the author of all things, to write yourself out of his story, history is to write yourself into nowhere and nothing. And that is a very dark and lonely place. Without meaning, it's to make yourself false, a false self. A golem in Hebrew, like golem in Lord of the Rings, an unfinished, unformed substance. Zacchaeus has seized the ring of power. And you know what it's like. He thought he controlled it, but it controlled him. It started small, I imagine. Like, well, I'll just take an extra denarii and sacrifice a little bit of love. And then to appease the guilt, I'll take another denarii or two, and, and he sacrificed more love. I'm sure he tried to keep the commandments, but the more he tried to keep the commandments, the more he saw the commandments and knew that he wasn't keeping the commandments, the law. And then something in Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see. But I imagine he was terrified to see. Or he wanted to be seen. He wanted to see, but he was terrified to be seen. He wanted to know, but he was terrified to be known. He wanted to seek, but he was terrified to be sought. You know, I imagine that no one really knew Zacchaeus, including Zacchaeus. He was rejected, outcast, excluded, left out of the crowd, and so he found himself at the foot of this tree. From the tree, he could see Jesus from a distance, and he would know that he did not belong. He must have thought this Jesus story is a story to which I, I don't belong. <laughs> but I am curious. So like a man taking a seat in the back row in the darkest corner of a movie theater, Zacchaeus climbed that tree. Verse three, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. On account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him 
for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Wow. Zacchaeus is saved. The tree story. Ever since I was a little kid in Sunday school, I heard the tree story. People were telling the tree story about a guy who climbed a tree for Jesus. And I thought, well, dang. I'd climb a tree for free. <laughs> I mean, the point of the story seems kind of boring, doesn't it? And, and, and obvious, it's a morality story, right? A story about us, telling us what we should do. That's the point. And so when we preach the tree story, we try to apply it to our lives. And so we say things like this. If you seek Jesus, even to the point of climbing a tree and looking silly, like taking your Bible to school or to work, if you do that, then you'll be saved. And if you don't, you won't. You'll perish. And you know, Jesus, he did say, seek, seek first the kingdom. Well, anyway, we say if, and then we say then. If you invite Jesus in, then you'll be saved. If you don't, then you'll be lost. And Jesus did say, I am the way. But we say, if you give half your possessions to the poor, then you'll be saved. If you don't, you'll be lost. If you believe Jesus died for your sins on the tree and loves you unconditionally, then you'll be saved. But if you don't believe he died for your sins and loves you unconditionally, then he doesn't love you unconditionally and didn't die for your sins and he'll torture you forever without end. So if you renounce your greed for gold, then God will reward you with streets of gold. Just imagine all the gold. I mean, when we tell this story as if it depends on us, well, Jesus just isn't much of a savior. And grace turns into law, and it's not good news, it's a threat. And we reward sin with more sin because our hearts remain just as they were, or get worse. And one last thing, to tell the story that way is just not accurate. There's no if in the story. There's no invitation. There's no offer of salvation. There is no should. There's a commandment and there's a word spoken and then a new creation. Zacchaeus wants love. There's no should, only a new heart. He wants love. And Zacchaeus sure didn't do much to, to get that new heart. I mean, Zacchaeus wasn't like an impressive seeker. If you would have been there that day and someone said to you, hey, who do you think out of all these people is most diligently seeking Jesus? I think you'd look around and probably say something like, well, gosh, the people who got up early and came to the parade. The people that got up early, they got their tickets in advance and, and found their place along the street. The early workers in the vineyards that, that really work at loving their neighbors and not defrauding their neighbors, they seek God and his kingdom. They seek him the best. In Romans 3, quoting Isaiah, St. Paul writes, no one seeks. No one seeks for God. No one. 
Maybe the people in the crowd aren't seeking Jesus. They're seeking what Jesus can do for them. Maybe they don't desire Jesus. They desire to use Jesus. Jesus, get me some gold. Jesus, make my leg grow. Jesus, would you get rid of these Romans? Save us from, from the Romans. Maybe they're seeking to use Jesus to write their own story. But I doubt Zacchaeus expects to make Jesus part of his story. He's convinced he's not part of Jesus' story. I suspect he's like the man taking his seat in the back of the movie theater. He's not trying to use Jesus. He's just heard stories about Jesus, and now, you know, he's intrigued with Jesus. You know, when I go to a movie, I don't go planning to work on myself. I go planning to forget myself, my, my miserable self. So if someone says, you know, Peter, you really should go see this movie, I, I think it would help you. <laughs> I don't go. I don't, I don't go. But if, if someone says, hey, Peter, you ought to go to this movie because it's a great movie, well, then I go. Not to find myself, but lose myself. That's the point. I'm not the point. Well, Paul writes, no one seeks for God, but Luke writes, Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus. Well, I doubt it's because someone said, you know, Zacchaeus, you really ought to go see Jesus. I think it would really help you to go see Jesus. Instead, someone told a story about Jesus, and the story created a desire in Zacchaeus to see Jesus. Whatever the case, the point is Jesus. Well, let's finish the story. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Did you get that? Saved since he's a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We, we assume that the story is about Zacchaeus seeking God, but that can only be true, and it is about that, but it can only be true because first it's a story about God seeking Zacchaeus. This is a story about the Son of Man and how he receives his kingdom from the ancient of days. Maybe it's not really about Zacchaeus. Maybe it's not really about you. Maybe you're not the point, you're not the plot, and definitely not the author. Jesus says, today salvation has come as if salvation is the protagonist and the plot. So salvation has come, just like Jesus has come to the house. And he didn't ask to come. He said, Zacchaeus, I am coming. Why? Because Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. Because 2,000 years before Zacchaeus climbed the tree, God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, 2, Abraham, of you I will make a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and it's unconditional. <laughs> Abraham does nothing, he just sits there in the dark. It's grace. 600 years later, God makes a covenant with Abraham's descendants, and it's conditional. It's the law. It contains at least 613 if-then statements. That's the old covenant, the law. But the new covenant was given to Abraham 600 years before the old covenant, and God told Abraham the end 
from the beginning. This will happen. Now, I'm saying that the law is a story within another story, the story of grace. God will bring his people into the land. He will give them new hearts, no matter how hard and impenitent the old hearts. He'll give them new hearts. Why did Jesus go to Zacchaeus? Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost can't find the way, so the way must find the lost. Came to Son of Man, came to seek and save. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image, and he blessed them. It is finished at the end of the sixth day, the beginning of the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and then we read how on the sixth day, Adam and Eve took fruit from the tree, the tree of the law, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God appeared and he cast them out of the garden, but only after making them a covenant promise, and this was it. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. That is, the son of man will destroy the work of the devil. Well, I'm just saying the story of original sin is a story within another story the story of original blessing. And maybe you, O oh man, are a story in another story, the story of the Son of Man. It's like God says, okay, you sons of Adam, you just go ahead and try to create yourselves with fruit from the tree of law and watch as I create you with fruit from the tree of life. You get lost and watch me find you. Okay, you sons of Abraham, you just try to save yourselves with the law and watch as I save you with grace. Okay, Zacchaeus, you just try to write your own story and you'll write yourself out of the story and then I'll write you back into the story redeeming your empty story and that's the story, that's the gospel. I write the story and it's good news. God is the author and he writes the story with his word and his word is Jesus, and Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and all the Christians say hallelujah and amen, and if you then say and he will succeed, all the Christians say hallelujah and, 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 and maybe, and then if you say he came to seek and to save the lost, and so he will seek and save the lost, all the lost, they cry heresy, and they have you defrocked. Why? Not to be vindictive, just ask the question, why? Could it be that they don't actually believe they were lost? Maybe we don't actually believe we were lost, which means we don't actually believe that we have been found, which means we don't actually believe that God is salvation, which means that we're lost. Good thing the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now you may say, cut it out with that fancy schmancy kung fu talk. Jesus came, he came to save the lost, yeah, but the Bible makes it clear that some will perish. Actually, the Bible makes it clear in Romans chapter two that all have perished and will perish. Actually, the word translated lost is the same word translated perish the verb from the verb apolumi. So, so scripture makes it clear that all have been lost. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save the perished, the, the lost. Jesus said, seek and, and, and you will find. How dare we tell him that he can seek, but he cannot find. 
He said, seek first the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? Daniel 7, 14. And to him, the son of man was given by the ancient of days a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, an everlasting kingdom that shall not pass away. That means it is the end, for he is the end. It is finished. Finished. So, so, so humor me, would you? Just humor me, and let's read the story again, but this time not assuming that it's about you. Okay, you just take your seat in the back of the theater, not assuming it's about you and what you should do, but it's about Jesus and what God does do. 19.1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Oh, oh yeah, remember, Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua, and Jericho is the edge of the promised land. It's, it's the city that could not be taken, except that Joshua led the Israelites and the Ark of the Covenant, which you know was the law encased in, in mercy. He read, led the Israelites and the Ark of the Covenant around the walls for seven days, and on the seventh day, the seven priests blew the seven trumpets, and the walls came tumbling down. Just like the walls around Zacchaeus' heart come tumbling down. Inside the city, there's a woman, remember? Her name is Rahab. She's a, a harlot, but she becomes a bride and a mother. The great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, Joshua. Jesus is passing through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, which is us. And you know what? We're harlots. And yet he makes us his bride. He even makes us his mother. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. No one seeks, but, but if Zacchaeus seeks, maybe he's already been sought. John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless my Father who sent me draws him. John 12, I will draw all men unto myself, and he, when I'm lifted up, and, and he's talking about being lifted up on a tree. No one seeks, but Zacchaeus sought, and God rewards the one who seeks him. God rewards the one who seeks him with himself, right? I mean, if you seek God, what do you want for a reward? God, right, right. If you want to be rewarded with something else, you're not seeking God. What are you doing? You're using God like a harlot, and you have a wall around your heart. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Not a sycamore tree like our sycamore trees, but a sukamorea. It comes from the word sukan, which is the Greek word for fig, and the word moron, which is not the Greek word for moron, but the Greek word for, for mulberry. This is a picture of a, of a sukamoreo right here, that's a, a, sycamore, a sycamore fig or a fig mulberry. It's a type of uh, uh, fig tree, uh, the sycamine tree. It's the kind that the prophet Amos cultivated in Israel. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel and the law. Remember, Adam and Eve hid themselves in fig leaves and the tree. The only kind of trees that we know of that were in the Garden of Eden then were fig trees. So it very well may be a picture of the tree of knowledge and the tree of life in the middle of the garden, the garden that has become the city of Jerusalem in the Revelation at the end of the story. Jesus was crucified on a tree in a garden in 
Jerusalem, a tree we call the cross. It's the tree of law at which we realize that we have written ourselves out of the story, and it's the tree of life at which God writes us back into his story. We climb the tree and realize that we're out. God climbs the tree and he grafts us back in. It's on that tree that we die to ourselves and live to God made in the very image of God. It's at that tree that we take his life and he forgives his life. It's at that tree that we meet Jesus, the plot, the son of man, and he calls our name, he calls your name, he calls my name saying, come down, come down, it is necessary that I stay at your house, I abide at your house this day. Your house is my city, my temple, my bride, my body. You are my Jerusalem, and this day is the Sabbath day, the day of rest, the seventh day. Your warfare is over, iniquity, uh, uh, Jerusalem. Your warfare is over, and your iniquity is pardoned. So, so Jesus looks up into the tree. He saw, and he said, Zacchaeus. The name means pure. No one thought Zacchaeus was pure, especially Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is no longer writing the story. God is writing the story, for God has written the story. Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is looking at the plot, the beginning and the end of Zacchaeus, that which is most true about Zacchaeus. No one knows who Zacchaeus is, but Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. He knows who he is and he tells him who he is. Zacchaeus, my clean, bright, pure, and shining one, come down. It is finished. The way Luke tells the story, it appears that Jesus met Zacchaeus at the tree toward the end of Friday, a good Friday, and the beginning of Saturday, the Sabbath day. So get the picture, Jesus will go with Zacchaeus to his house for the Sabbath dinner that evening, a banquet. And then he will abide at Zacchaeus' house for 24 hours until early uh, that Sunday morning, Palm Sunday morning, at which he will go up to Jerusalem and enter the city. Verse four, so Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree. Do you do you think it was simply his decision to climb that tree? Or did someone decide that Zacchaeus would decide? He ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree for Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. What's wrong with these people? Well, what's happened? Well, they're angry at what? They're angry at grace. They don't like grace, and God is grace. He is love for no reason. He is the reason, that's, that's grace. They don't want to be his story. They want to write their own story. If you think you write your own story, you're lost. But to believe that God writes your story, is to be found. So check this out, the one that was lost is found and all those that thought they were found are lost. 
Good thing Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully, and he gives his possessions away joyfully. Zacchaeus fulfills all Roman law and all Hebrew law joyfully. Uh, he fulfills all the commandments, and no one tells him that he has to do it. He wants to do it. It's like his right hand doesn't even know what his left hand is doing. It's like he's lost himself and found himself. It's like he sees something that everybody else doesn't see or he hears something that everybody else doesn't hear. It's like a dance, like, like he's a dance, the dancing body of the Son of Man. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you see? Do you hear? Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus because God in Christ Jesus was always seeking Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't write the story. God writes the story. The story is not dependent upon Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is dependent on the story. Zacchaeus doesn't change the story so much as the story changes Zacchaeus. And that's the way all good stories work. I go to the movie theater not to apply the story to my life. I go to the movie theater uh, to forget my life, to forget myself, and then I find myself in the story. I don't apply the story to my life, but the story applies me to its life. The story's finished. I cannot change the Lord of the Rings, but every time I see it, hear it, or read it, it changes me. It makes me. Star Trek is finished. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's true. Star Trek is finished, but it's still making Trekkies. And not because kids try to apply Leonard Nimoy to their lives. They watch Spock, imitate Spock, even worship Spock, and become more reasonable like Spock. They don't apply James T. Kirk to their lives. They watch Kirk, imitate Kirk, even worship Kirk, and become more courageous like Kirk. Star Trek makes Trekkies, like the gospel makes men and women in the image of God. We don't apply Jesus to our lives so much as Jesus applies us to his life. We're, we're his body. So we watch the Son of Man, imitate the Son of Man. We participate in the life of the Son of Man and become human. The story's finished. It is finished. So, it's not about us. And yet it's all about us. It creates us. And that's not just some psychological trick. It's the reality of eternity unwrapping temporality. It's Jesus the plot, the slaughtered lamb standing on the throne, unwrapping the scroll and giving eternal meaning to all temporal reality, including you. You know, once you've read a really good story, it is finished, right? You know the plot. It is finished and yet it's not finished because you want to go back and find new meaning on every page. The plot changes the meaning of every moment in the, in the, in the story, past, present, and future. Well, a believer knows the plot because the plot has found the believer at the tree. 
It's where we surrender the story. We're writing and believe the story God has written. It's where all our sin is transformed by grace into grace and it is finished, it is accomplished. When we see that, well that kind of changes the way you read the Bible, doesn't it? Kind of changes the way that you hear the gospel. What we thought was, you know, just law is actually part, uh, an integral part of the story of grace. It's no longer a threat, but the greatest of all news. It becomes good news. We don't write the story, but we become the story. It's not about us, and yet it's all about us. By grace, through faith, it is finished. When we see that, it changes the way we hear the gospel, and it changes the way we tell the story. Do you understand? If you struggle with witnessing, do you know that you don't have to change people? You don't have to manipulate people. You don't have to fix people. You don't have to apply the story to people. You don't have to write the story. You just have to tell the story because you want to tell the story because it's good news. It's good news. It is finished. Say, say, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He has conquered. Would you like to hear the story? Look, the son of man is receiving his kingdom. It has happened. It is happening. You want to hear the story? Look, he's coming to your house this day. Listen, the angels are already singing. At the end of January, I received this email from a guy named Aidan Parle in London. He had watched our Hallelujah in Hell video just the week before. And you know, in it we tell how on the tree, God in Christ Jesus conquered hell and cried, it is finished. Well, Aidan shared in his email that he'd been the worship pastor in Ireland for 11 years, but became disillusioned with the theology that he heard, and he, he left his position, and he even left playing music. He sank into depression, addiction, and thought about suicide. Finally, a week before he sent me this email, he, he prayed a little prayer of what he calls total and utter desperation. Two hours later, at the advice of a friend, he watched that video that, that all of us made. We made it together. And he writes this. This is when things start getting weird. He explains that he's a healthy skeptic, and then he writes, and I'll read, having listened to what you spoke about, and the point where your daughter, which is Lila Dancer, you know, screamed to signify Jesus singing in hell, I looked up and bawled. I felt compelled to raise my hands, and then like out of nowhere, I felt my back arch inwardly and life me upwards, lift me upwards. My shoulder blades felt like they were wings flapping, and while I won't say I was lifted right out of my chair, it was pretty darn close. Needless to say, I was compelled to get on my hands and knees and, and just worship the true living and loving God. The experience isn't really what this email is about. That's just the background. The following days were immense. The level of intimacy, the joy. I felt, heck, on Friday before my wife came home from work, I ran across the street to the flower shop to get her flowers. Such was my total love for God's creation. He explains then how he had begun hearing these melodies in the fan for a while that he couldn't quite quite understand or hear as he was falling asleep. And then he writes this. Last night, having had a wonderful alcohol-free evening with my wife eating pizza and drinking 7-Up, we retired. Do you think I could sleep? Nope. I began to hear what I can only describe as a choir of what must have been over a million voices singing. It was so vivid, I was actually able to run into my living room and work out that it was being sung on D-sharp. 
There were drums and the most amazing saxophonist playing these crazy jazz freestyles that would put Miles Davis to shame. There was so much noise, I decided that I'd join in. We have a dehumidifier in our living room, and I decided I would uh, go out to my computer to tell my pal from my church back home about it. With the dehumidifier working away, suddenly the genre changed to a sort of Iron Maiden type setup. The singer was belting it out, Bryce Dickinson style, but in a language I'd never heard. He explains how he then did a bunch of research on the computer to see if he was losing his mind or it was some sort of medical condition. When that didn't make any sense, he went to the kitchen at 1.30 to have a smoke. Then the noise of the fridge started making music, he writes, and I just shook my head in disbelief. A new genre, brilliant. Now it was a sort of Shane McGowan folk ballad and the voice, albeit sounding like Shane, spoke in a language I did not understand. Uh, finally, he says, he went to bed. Where the fan is, he writes, no more gospel angel voices now. The genre had changed again. Same fan, different song, no pun intended. All praise, all languages, I do not understand. And then he writes, I feel light. I feel that finally I have realized God chose me. It, it was always the other way around for me. I found Jesus. I asked him into my heart. I sought him, but this is the gospel. God sought Aden. And God sought you. And God saved you. And it is finished. And so every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praises the Lord God and the Lamb upon the throne. It's good news even though we're just beginning to hear it. And even though we're just beginning to sing with the angels, you know, when we tell the story like it depends on us, we give glory to men. And we create something. We create pride and fear and doubt and anxiety and shame. We create nothingness. We create false men and women trapped in hell. But when we tell the story like it depends on God and it is finished, we give glory to God. And his gospel creates men and women in his image, men and women who look like Jesus and begin to sing with the angels. God created all things, he sustained all things, arranged all things in order to meet Zacchaeus at the tree and proclaim to Zacchaeus good news. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree for I must abide at your house this day. And God created and sustained and arranged all things in order to meet you at the tree and proclaim good news. In seven days, Jesus would be on the tree. Jesus would be on the tree instead of Zacchaeus. Eventually, all will meet him there as he says, Father, forgive them, and it is finished. The end. Now if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that's great, pastor, but what do I do? Tell me what I need to do. What do I need to do? Listen closely. Observe all the commandments. Seriously. Go observe all the commandments. Hey, look, there's a tree. <laughs> and 
And so he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Eat and drink me. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you understand what he, do you see what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? He calls your name and then he says, come down from there. Come down from that tree. It is finished and it is necessary that I abide at your house this day. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Close your eyes, if you would. And I want to ask you some questions. Do you feel short in stature? I mean, do you feel inadequate? Do you feel like you failed? Have you been excluded? You're in a tree. From the tree, you look out and you see others and you kind of hope that they don't see you. And yet you want someone to see you. You want someone to find you. Look, there's a man at the base of the tree. And he's staring up at you. You, you look in his eyes and he, know, he knows who you are. He sees you and he calls your name. Peter, Susan, Jess, Kathleen. Hurry up and come down from there. Come down from that tree. Don't you know it's finished? And I must come to your house this day. And by the way, this day is the seventh day. This is a day that does not end, and you are my mobile home. We're going places. We see that's good news. Believe the good news. And live like you believe the good news. And in Jesus' name, amen.